Monthly Globe podcast on World Football Index. My name is Lewis Young and today I'm going to be interviewing Paraguayan American multimedia journalist Roberto Rojas and South American football writer for World Football Index Lewis Smith on the topic of Emmanuel Adebayo's recent transfer to Olympia, how this will look for the Paraguayan League and also the whole dynamic regarding South American transfers. So in the first section of this podcast, I will be interviewing Lewis Smith, who wrote an article about Emmanuel Adebayor's recent transfer to Olympia, and has also done a lot of great work in writing for World Football Index about South American football. So without further ado, enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening. So to start off, like uh, I read your article in World Football Index about Adebayor and him making his debut for Olympia, and what was, from what I understand, a really big derby with Thero Porteno. Uh, Porteno, yeah. Porteno, yeah. Um, it was a like it was a really good article, and I felt like um, I maybe understood a little bit more about South American and particularly Paraguayan football. Um, yeah. You talked a lot about Rocky Santa Cruz and his success with Olympia and Paraguay. Yeah. And what do you think uh, the arrival of Adebayo is going to do, or could potentially do, for a club like Olympia and Paraguayan football? Um, already, the signing of Adebayo has cre- created a, a lot of excitement amongst fans of Olympia and. Uh, Paraguayan football more to the fact because he's a big name he's played in Europe he's played for Real Madrid of all teams mm-hmm. the initial reaction throughout Paraguay has just been crazy I mean in the airport uh, he arrived at about 2 o'clock in the morning in Asuncion and it was just packed with Olympia fans mm-hmm. ready to greet him and Adebayo said at that moment it's the best he's like, been greeted in his career which is some statement just for the fact he's played everywhere Mm-hmm. Played in, he's played in Turkey and they're known for having amazing fans so for him to say that is, is quite a lot in, in terms of for the Paraguay League it brings worldwide attention on him everyone's going to be wanting to know how Adebayo's getting on and mm-hmm. especially with him linking up with Roque Santa Cruz it's going to uh, alert more Man City fans to the league just to see how they got on together over there yeah 100% um, so with uh, Roque Santa Cruz how long has it been at Olympia again is it a few years um, he joined, yeah, he joined in uh, 2016 mm-hmm. from Malaga, and his goal-scoring record's really good since being there. And more recently, I think it's, he, he had a scoring streak of 10 games in a row he scored in the league, mm-hmm. which included, I think he, what that included, four goals in the derby against Cerro Porteño mm-hmm. last season, which helped clinch Olympia the title, or put them within one game of winning it, and ended uh, Cerro Porteño's chances, which, obviously, to their fans, they were delighted. Mm-hmm. So, from what I understand, anyway, I think there's only been three titles in the uh, Copa de Libertadores from from Paraguayan teams, and Olympia hold those three titles. Yeah. Uh, um, does this increase their chance? Do you think, or do you think that the 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 level is still above what they can potentially reach? Um, the level in Brazil and Argentina is just, just really good at the moment, but I think it gives Olympia a really, really good chance—a better chance than they had last year because they've signed. Gonzalez from I think it was at Santos and Rowan mm-hmm. and he's come in as well as Adebayo and he looks a very good player Yeah. With and he can link up with the likes of the quality players that they've already got in Richard Ortiz Antonin Alcaraz who won the FA Cup with Wigan he's quite an experienced uh, centre half mm-hmm. uh, they've got Rodrigo Rojas in midfield and they've just got quite a talented squad Mm-hmm. But Flamengo last year shown how good they were, and they started the season in similar fashion, just blown teams away. So it will be hard for them to overcome that. But 
thing with Paraguayan teams in competitions when they're when they're the underdogs, they they know how to draw our results, they defend deep and they take chances when they need to. As shown by uh, Libertad last night in the Libertadores, they managed to win out two one away in uh, Colombia against Medellin. And that's despite only having two shots on target and they won two one. So Paraguayans know how to take their chances and with Adebayor, Rocky Santa Cruz, they're players who know how to take their chances. So it's good for them going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Is the expectation high on Olympia in the Paraguayan Premier Division? Is Because I think they're second in the league right now, after 13 games? Uh, their, their expectation now in the league, it, it's not as high as it is for the Libertadores. They, they really want that. They haven't won it since 2002. So the, the, the main attention is focused on that. But obviously, if they're not going to get the Libertadores, they're going to need something to back up on. So winning the league to them would be would be ideal again. It would be the fifth in a row, which is just crazy. They had a dry spell before winning the league, um, and now it's come back and won four in a row, which is it's very uncommon. I can't remember the last time it happened, but it's it's only happened a few times before, so to win five would just be a step up. At the minute, the second, they're undefeated. However, they did lose against Guarani, but it got the... It's ended because Guarani played six foreigners, and you're only allowed five. But the title race in Paraguay this season looking looking kind of uh, interesting because Libertad, Pugarani, Olimpia, Cerro Porteño, they're all, they're all fighting. Cerro Porteño keep dropping points against the lesser clubs. So yeah. I'm hoping the sounds really. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting bout to see who takes the title because in Paraguay there is two seasons, as you like, each year. There's a, there's a closing stage and an opening stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've heard of like... I think it splits yeah. into two. Yeah, it splits into it splits into two. It's like two halves, but they, they both mean the same thing. So if they if they win one, that mm. counts as winning the league. If they win the second, that counts as winning another league. So it's not like in Colombia, for example, where they have two separate leagues and then they have a playoff yeah. at the end to see who who wins. It's not like that. One thing I've got from uh, from reading a lot more about particular Brazilian football is the fact that. A lot of squads can be left depleted kind of mid-season because of they see their chances of winning a league or winning the Libertadores coming from kind of promising youngsters or returning veterans. Take for example like Corinthians a couple of years ago. They won the league in Brazil by a long way and uh, then they lost Balbuena, Joe to Nagoya Krampus and I think they lost a coach to another side in Saudi Arabia. Is the case in Paraguay and in mainly South American countries that they feel like their only chance of success is the returning veterans or the um, promising youngsters, or does this often lead the, the squad to be really depleted? Yeah, um, well, more so often now, the MLS, that didn't used to be a threat to South American football, but now there's a lot of players going from South America to the MLS. So you'll find in Paraguay and other South American countries at this, older players mixing with the younger players, with a bit of uh, players who failed to get to you or failed in getting to you. But that has positives and negatives. If you look at Flamengo, for example, they've brought in Felipe Luis and Rafinha last year who finished, who were practically finished their careers in Europe, but they've come into Flamengo and just mix well with the young players. Even when I did an interview with Lincoln, he said that when Felipe Luis and Rafinha came in, they helped him out votes, helped the younger players and not just him. Several other players, which just helps create a new brand of football, which they brought in, and it just helps massively. In terms of Adebayor, as an example, coming into 
Olympia. Well, Olympia have got a, quite an old squad, but um, they've got quite a few youth players. There's a few youth players coming up who played in the Paraguay in the 17s, but a lot of uh, potential is in a striker, Diego Duarte. He was a Paraguay's top scorer in the under-17 championships, and he played really well. Now, the only problem with bringing in older players is that it can help his chances progressing. For example, if if they didn't have him, they, they would have another striker, Brian Montenegro. Because the older players are coming in, uh, the chances of the young players coming through is it's a lot harder if they're going to bring in ageing players. For example, if Rocky Santa Cruz played alongside one of the young ones, it could be a lot more beneficial just to help out the, the young players. But in terms of in the Libertadores, you're going to want two more experienced players playing together. Yeah, definitely. So looking at the kind of like um, problems in South America in regards to the transfer system and what the kind of um, the cliches are when it comes to Brazilian sides and Argentine sides and Paraguayan sides offloading maybe their best players to clubs with more financial muscle behind them. Um, do you think that the good outweighs the bad or the bad outweighs the good in terms of it's putting a spotlight on South American football by these youngsters like Malcolm and Vinicius and Rodrigo all coming from clubs in Brazil and in South America. Is the spotlight that goes on them, does that outweigh the, the negatives that really are the squad depletion, the kind of knee-jerk reactions from a lot of the South American clubs? Does the good outweigh the bad, really? To me, I think it's kind of mixed because if you get the uh, your likes of Adebayor and your Rocket Santa Cruzers in that league, more people from worldwide are going to have their eyes on that league, which may help uh, draw attention to the younger players who play. Because if you've got if you've got the likes of Adebayor playing and you've got a young player setting them up every t- setting them up week in week out, then the bigger clubs are going to be watching him. More people are going to be watching that league. The bad thing is that they're going to lose those young players and there's going to be more ageing players playing in that league. And it, it could make the league a lot weaker and not as exciting to watch. Yeah. So I think they need to, you need to have a balance of young players and older players just, just to keep the, the league going and make it more exciting. Yeah, it does, yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, that's all the questions I had today. So thanks for your time and stuff. It was really been yeah, good help. And, uh, yeah, uh, is there any... Uh, is there any pieces you've got writing on World Football Index right now that you'd like to preview or to, to plug in any old um, articles uh, on Adebayor? Or? Yeah, at the moment, well, I think it's being edited at the moment. It's uh, Adebayor article just summing up uh, his career so far in continental competition. So he talks about his Champions League uh, performances, his Europa League story. Mm-hmm. Um, just... And it's quite a lot more, it's a lot, there's a lot more to Adebayo's European journey than you think. I mean, he never won it. He was part of the Monaco squad in 2004, what got to the final. He was on the bench, he didn't manage to come on. But yeah, it's it's quite, it's quite, um, when I was writing it, I found it, I was learning a lot of stuff that I didn't know already. And it brought a few memories. For example, when he played for Arsenal against Liverpool at Anfield and it was 4-2. And he managed to pick up a couple of goals in the, overall and it brought back a few memories and a year I realised how, how good it was in the air which something Olympia fans can look, look forward to yeah definitely uh, yeah so anyway thanks for your time again and uh, I'll make sure to promote a lot of your stuff on World Football in the next and hope to maybe have you on again at some point but thank you very much thank you thanks for your time
And you can check out a lot of Lewis Smith's work on the World Football Index website. He writes a lot about South American football and does a lot of really great interesting work that I would highly recommend to anyone. Next up though, I interviewed Roberto Rojas, who is a Paraguayan-American multimedia journalist who works a lot within football media and is a great voice to talk about Adebayo's move to Olympia and how this will look for Paraguayan football. So enjoy the second section of the podcast. Thanks for listening again. Well, I think the move came as a shock when it was first rumored. I think many people, when they first heard it, didn't think that this was going to happen because a lot of times, and we've seen this through not just teams in Paraguay, but I think a lot of teams around South America where they were rumored to get big players. You know, the, the, the big rumors were out of many players, you know, the likes of Michael Sanelka going to Atletico um, Mineiro. You know, you got players like Didier Drogba being uh, rumored. You know, so many players from around the world um, coming to South America to, to apply their trade. And then when this Adebayor thing came out of nowhere, it, it seemed a bit odd. But also, when you start to dig in about what really came about from this move, um, you have to look at the kind of the pieces. Uh, number one, I think the biggest one would have to be the influence of Roque Santa Cruz, you know the captain and one of the greatest Paraguayan players to ever play. He's the, he was there at Olympia for a couple of years now and obviously played with Emmanuel Adebayor at Manchester City. So there is kind of that influence of, of um, keeping in touch with a player that obviously he knows very well. The second, of yeah. course, is that Olympia, for all of its uh, perhaps unknown uh, factor to the entire world, it, it's kind of considered that Olympia as a whole are quite doubtedly one of the biggest teams in all of South America, the biggest team in Paraguay, without a doubt. You know, the most mm-hmm. successful, most uh, league titles, the only team to have won Libertadores, uh, the South American Champions League, where they won three. You know, they have uh, eight international titles to their name. So they're quite really recognizable across um, across South America. And I think this move comes at, at a good time because, you know, Olympia haven't made it to, um, to a Copa Libertadores final now seven years. They lost it to Atletico mm-hmm. Mineiro and haven't won the title proper in 18 years. So I think now what we see from this Paraguayan side and I think from Olympia as a whole is that the move comes as kind of a shock, but I think it sends kind of a, a shot, you would say, to the rest of South America because uh, even the likes of Boca Juniors were going to go for him or bidding for him. And unfortunately, uh, for, at least fortunately for Olympia, you know, they were able to get him. So to do that and to beat uh, more successful teams and teams that actually have a better financial checkbook than, than a lot of Paraguay, if not all of the Paraguayan teams, that just shows what kind of influence that this Olympia side is having serious. And I think why Adebayor chose to go to Paraguay. Mm-hmm. So, um, to give more of a, a context to the Paraguayan League and the Paraguayan Premier Division, w- what is the league looking like this year? Is that a more competitive league? Are Olympia expected to do very well and win the Premier Division? Because they've won the last, uh, I'm pretty sure it's two years, right? Or is it four years? Well, it's um, the, the thing about the, the Primera División in Paraguay is that it's two seasons divided into one year. So, it's not yeah. like an entire year like they do it in Brazil or, or something along those lines, like an MLS or something. No, yeah. they do it what it's similar to, uh, if you have to compare it maybe to like a Mexico um, where they have mm. the Apertura, which is essentially the opening season, and then the Clausura, which is the closing season. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of works in that kind of way. Um, you know, there's not a lot of teams in the first division. There's only 12. Um, obviously, Olympia are coming in as favorites, having won the last, you know, you would say the four championships out of the last two years. So 
they're really in good position to go for the fifth straight title. But at the same time, you know, this season is actually quite different. You know, we're seeing an Olympia side that uh, I believe right now are they, they drew over the weekend. So now they have four points behind leaders, Libertad, who are also a team that are resurging um, from an administrative point of view and also from a, uh, a fields perspective. So I think for Olympia, they're always going to be considered favorites. I think just because of the financial advantage that they have with numerous teams across all of the, uh, the country, um, they're obviously going to be in there. I think what is really important for this Olympia side now in comparison to many, probably the other teams is that, you know, they want to win the big gold. They want to win the big treasure. And that's the Copa Libertadores. I think that's the, that's the championship that essentially why they have been building a team as strong as they have. Uh, over the last few years is, is, is to be competitive from a continental perspective. And that's why, yes, while they're always going to be expectant on how they do locally, uh, domestically, I think the main goal for them is to do very, very well in the Copa Libertadores. And, you know, there are a lot of people that say that they could win it. I mean, that is a big claim considering how many great mm-hmm. teams that there are in South America and how there's probably a big advantage from the Brazilian Argentine sides. But I think that just shows how you would say unpredictable the Copa Libertadores is. But uh, I think mm. with a team like Olympia and how historically powerful they've been, you know, and why they they, they, they are known in this competition across all of the, the continent, they have every right to, to distinguish themselves as a as a potential front runner for the title. Mm. Uh, when I was speaking to Lewis about the um about South American football and how when you because I've been reading a lot about like Brazilian football in particular and that's it's something that always gets brought up about how a big expectation on winning a title in, in Brazil or winning the Copa de Libertadores is there's a big reliance on aging veterans and promising youngsters who will inevitably get picked up by bigger teams with more financial muscle. What's um is is that a good thing that you see that you see as South, for South American football? Does the good outweigh the bad in terms of the success and the eyes that are brought onto South American Paraguayan football in the short term outweighs the the, the short-term nature of it? Well, I think just because of the financial division that there is and the huge gulf that there is between Europe and South America, I mean, it's only inevitable that, you know, if you are a promising youngster, that, you know, even for some cases, that you don't even kick a ball in the in the first um, division, not even make your professional career, but yet you're still picked up by the major clubs in Europe. So I think mm-hmm. it's just because there is that expectation from European teams that, you know, they could buy them... Um, buy them cheap and then sell them if it doesn't work out so that they could um, revive their career in a way. So it's always been a a long process. I I think when it comes to Brazil and Argentina as a whole, I think just because they are the the standards of what South American football demonstrates, not just on a club competition, but I think what the national team also brings, you know, obviously Brazil being successful with the five World Cups and in Argentina and even a team like Uruguay as well, who have always been producing talents for generations. There's always been expectation. And I think just because, you know, a lot of these players nowadays have seen the globalization of the sport rise um, from, I guess, since they were little to to the early days. I mean, back then, you know, many people dream of just playing in the first division and, and playing for their the team that they support. Now, a lot of these players, you know, they want to dream of playing under the big lights in Europe in the Champions League, play in the Premier League or La Liga or Serie A or Bundesliga or any of those leagues. That's that's the dream for them because it, it helps them. It helps them, hopefully, to a important career. And I think more than anything, it's just financially that they want to be secured. 
you know, it's not mm. certain that you're going to get that much money because of how much, um, I don't want to say too instability, but it's just the, the big difference between what uh, a team like a, like an Olympia, for example, can offer and a team like Barcelona can offer. I mean, obviously, that's a big difference in financial displays and, and obviously talents. But I think that's just the reality for these guys, you know. And then for those that are much older, I think in the end, it, it's kind of more of the romantic point of view. It's like, you know, the the dream would be to, you know, start at the team where you grew up, where you made your name in the academy and then you know, became that young talent before going to Europe, making a bigger name for yourself where you're more established. And then by the time you hit your the twilight of your careers in your 30s, your early or late 30s, you know, you go back and you try to do something that maybe you couldn't have done with Olympia. And the big mm-hmm. example that I could use would be Roque Santa Cruz. You know, he, he was the talent, the, the bright gem in the 90s for Olympia, and I think of all of Paraguayan football. And then when he was picked up at 17 to go to Bayern, you know, he, he made a name for himself there. You know, he, st- he went there, he went to England, went to Spain, went to Mexico, and he only recently came back to Olympia a couple years ago at, mm-hmm. um, at 35, and he wanted to do something that he couldn't have done. And that was yeah. when the Copa Libertadores. I think for him, just because he's been so away, and a lot of these players, you know, it's kind of that romantic feeling. It's that maybe, you know, they want to be recognized that um, they, they could do something and be a part of, of the team where they grew up and maybe didn't have a chance to really showcase themselves as a youngster. Why not do it when you're much more experienced and you have seen the game and, and also mm-hmm. teach a lot of these young players that are coming up that, you know, have that grew up watching players like Santa Cruz growing up yeah. and, and to have that kind of experience and that kind of um, togetherness from, you know, experience, veterans to youngsters making their way up and trying to be like Roque Santa Cruz, it, it's a perfect combination. Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, like, um, for many people who have wrote about Santa Cruz and Andabayor, they do say it's a big uh, it's a big thing for the young players in teams like Olympia. It's because when a player comes back and, like you say, they're, they are sort of a role, well, they are a massive role model for the younger players in the team because they think, well, this guy's made it and come from you know he's had success in other ways at other clubs all around Europe and they can have that mm-hmm. yeah I think that's that's the thing I think it's and, and and this isn't the case this isn't the case for maybe an Olympia but also with teams like across South America I mean we can even look back at we can't, we can't even go very far and go to South America like someone like Carlos Tevez who just won the league title with Boca Juniors and also have a lot of youngsters that are coming up on that team that grew up watching Carlos Tevez, not only in the career that he's had in Europe, but also at Boca. So they dream of having a similar career and, and to be as successful as, as as a Tevez or a Santa Cruz, just because it, it'll allow them to, to hopefully teach for future generations to come. And, and so it's always going to be a repeating pattern. It's going to be a conveyor belt because I don't think the talent will ever dry up in South America, I think. Just because of the the influence and the, I guess you could say that the talent and how the sport was was brought up organically across the continent. You know, it's always going to be the case of of young talents coming up. I think the only fear that you would say is that maybe these players won't have enough time playing in their own country before teams in Europe, obviously with a much more bigger financial backing, are able to just pick them up whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, that's all the questions I have today. Thanks for thanks for being a part of this. By the way, this is a you know it's a it's great to have you on and stuff, and it's great to talk to you about this kind of stuff because obviously you're a lot more like I say you're a lot more <laughs> educated and well versed on the subject than I am. So uh, so it's great to chat chat to you and uh, thanks very much. 
Thank you so much, Lewis. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you.